All right, so we are continuing in our series in the book of Proverbs. We've gone through all sorts of different things from certain topics, if you recall, like on money and on our words and on fatherhood and friendship. We've also looked at a few different verses. Today is a verse proverb sermon. So Proverbs 4.23. I want to challenge you to commit this to memory. Challenge your kids to memorize it. Even this week, you can memorize it as a family and afterwards go get ice cream or something and just celebrate that you have really treasured a verse like this. I'm gonna read for you this verse from several different translations. I will say I arrived later today than I wanted to, so we have no uh, words on the screen. If you want that, stay for the next service. Let's continue uh, reading several different translations of this same verse. So the NASB says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Uh, A Bible called the Berean Study Bible. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow springs of life. The English Standard Version says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And then... The Christian Standard Bible says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So all of these translations convey the same sort of themes. You have guarding or watching or keeping, right? that, that action verb there. Uh, the same object is heart, guarding that, watching over your heart. Uh, there's a few other uh, ways to describe the urgency or the priority Some say above all else, some say with diligence, some say with vigilance, and then they all describe the value of our heart, and that is that it is the source of our life. So according to the Holy Spirit, who worked through Solomon to write this proverb for us, the heart is the source of life. Therefore, we must guard it at all costs. More than we keep watching our personal property, or even our children or loved ones, we must guard and watch our heart. Joseph Benson, an old 18th century church leader, he wrote, above all keeping, keep thy heart. So to study this proverb, I want us to answer two simple questions. I think this is actually simple, but the the, uh, probably the challenge here is because it's so simple, you might tune out. So hopefully it is uh, addressing what you might be thinking in a way that helps you to work through this. The first is, what is your heart? And secondly... What does it mean to guard it? If it is the source of all life, well, what's going on here, and how do we guard it? So first of all, what is your heart? Well, Scripture mentions the heart nearly 1,000 times, and it's not talking about the organ in your body that's pumping blood throughout it, although that is what we say with heart. When you think about heart from a Scripture perspective and and from the poetic perspective and, and the way beyond natural biology, it's the understanding and the combination of our emotions and our mind and our will, and even in part our soul within the inner man or the inner woman. Another way to think of it is the heart is a powerful core of our lives that God designed to drive our actions and influence our life, including our daily thinking and our behavior. So when we think about our relationship to God, we often use language with our heart. We say that our heart is fully surrendered to him or that he has our heart, or that he knows our heart. So Psalm 44, 21 says, God knows the secrets of the heart. And it's not talking about, again, the organ in your chest. It's describing this inner part of you. 
this core part of you. Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament, they're described as men who followed God with their whole hearts. The Geneva Study Bible says this about it, for as the heart is either pure or corrupt, so is the whole course of a man's life. The heart really does direct us and influence our actions and our behaviors and our words. Our heart can direct our desires down a path of righteousness or a path of destruction. When Satan tempts us, he's not just tempting this external action or behavior, he tempts our heart. It's the top of the stream that leads to that which would be sinful thoughts or attitudes or beliefs. So when you think about your heart, think about the core of who you are, the place from which we stir courage in the face of danger. It's the dwelling for our desires and emotions. It's the center for our conviction and our endurance. It is the treasure chest that holds our deepest affections, and it's the source of our actions. The idea behind this idea of heart is also seen and conveyed in the great commandment. So in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And in Luke, it even adds all your strength. Well, when you think about this, it's not so much those individual components of you, but a lot of people teach on this, and I do too, and I'm telling my kids, and I love the different parts, but essentially it's saying, love the Lord your God with all of you. The, the deepest parts of you, not just the stuff external, not just the stuff that people can see, but the stuff that's deep down and the stuff that not everybody's aware of. And all of you, the deepest and the fullest parts of you. And so in scripture, when it says that our hearts are what God changes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we remind ourselves that it's Jesus's atoning work on the cross that affects and radically regenerates our heart. And again, not the thing that's beating inside of you, but uh, the depth of who you are. So Ezekiel 36, 26 uses this language. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And also Psalm 51 is describing a confession and a cleansing of our heart. So David wrote, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So before we even get into what it means to guard your heart, how about you start with asking, has God changed my heart? Has God cleansed my heart? He changes us. He changes our heart by Jesus' work on the cross. We remember this with taking communion. We remember this as we read the story of Jesus' work on the cross. Just the other day, my kids asked me to read the story of, we read about communion and a little bit with Jesus dying on the cross. We recognize that Jesus' work on the cross is what changes our heart when we place our faith in him. You can't do enough works to change your heart. It's something God does. But also, it's God's work that cleanses our heart. Jesus' blood cleanses. His forgiveness is made true and at work. I like what this one preacher said. Man, it's a couple of hundred years ago he lived. John Gill, he said, keep thy heart with all diligence. The mind from vanity, the understanding from error, the will from perverseness, the conscience clear of guilt. Uh, Conscience clear from guilt. Uh, The affections from being inordinate and set on evil objects the thoughts from being employed on bad subjects, and the whole from falling into the hands of the enemy or being the possession of Satan. All right, so 
This is the idea that we have in mind when we think about our hearts. Uh, question for you to ask if you have little kids and maybe even students, but definitely little ones because you might get unique answers, is ask them, like, hey, what, what, what do you think about when you think about the heart? And have a conversation with them. And maybe even I recommend taking it to reminding them it's not just that thing inside of you. It's not the thing that you draw with. Like, we know how we draw hearts, and it's not at all like what the heart looks like inside of you. I don't know. That symbol has just become what a heart is. And remind them, well, it's actually this, the deepest parts of you, the core of who you are, and God wants your heart. So the second question is, what does it mean to guard it? Proverbs 4.23 talks about this, but to give us better context, let me read several verses before and after. So starting in verse 20, if you have your Bibles, you can look down to verse 20, and we'll read all the way to the end of the, the chapter here. It says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So this passage contains themes. And I love to look at the themes, particularly with Proverbs. You have language that conveys attentiveness, intentionality, and focus, and avoiding sin, and being watchful in where we walk, and what we do, and what we say. When I think about focus, I'm reminded of two weeks ago, we were playing a game on, the, um, on Independence Day, and this was part of the mission trip activities where we were working with the community. And so we're in Alaska in this community helping them do all these different games on Independence Day. And one of those was helping kids, uh, they call it the five-legged race, which I'd never heard of. Has anyone heard of this five-legged race where you like tie kids by their ankles in a line? Um, like four or five of them together, and then they, they run. So we had, we had four or five groups of kids, and we had them broken up into different age groups. So this one that I'm thinking of was the youngest. Four years old to eight years old was this group. So imagine four and five-year-olds all being tied by their ankles and then having them run about 30 yards. And so <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, this is, this is uh, nightmarish. So... So what I did is I just decided to pick one group and uh, kind of coach them. They were having the most problems figuring out even how to stand there and, uh, before we said go. So I'm, like, I'm just going to work with them. Like, this is a lost cause. We're probably going to go five feet. Well, you know what I did is I just told them, uh, they say go. And everyone starts going. And like nobody's, no, none of the groups are coordinated and they're all struggling. And so what happened with our kids is uh, like the group I was working with, they kept wanting to look around at the other ones, and every time they did, they started to like lose their balance. And so I just decided, hey, I'm going to give them like the most basic uh, instruction here. So just look ahead and stay focused. And they started doing that, and they actually moved in the right direction. And then again, we got halfway through, and they were in the lead, and they looked to the left, and they started st stumbling. I'm like, stop it! I like tried not to be too um, overbearing. You know, it's like no, I don't even know these kids. And, uh, and I'm this pastor from Virginia. But I gave them the instruction to stay focused, and they did, and they ended up winning, which was shocking, because they were the, the, the uh, 
Yeah, I thought this is, this is a fascinating case study of focus and just don't look to the group on your left or your right. When you do that, you start to lose balance. Stay focused. Well, a lot of the language here from Proverbs 4, and the whole chapter is valuable. If you haven't read Proverbs 4, read it this week. Especially on those days, you're like, I, I don't know what I might read for a devotional today. Read Proverbs 4. Well, this section reminds us of just the value of intentionality and focus and not getting distracted. A moment ago, I read from John Gill, and I'm going to read from him again. Rarely do I read the same theologian multiple times. Uh, I'm going to read him three times <laughs> today. His, uh, his description on this is fascinating. He says, great diligence had need be used in keeping it since it is naturally so deceitful and treacherous, a strict eye is to be kept upon your heart. All the avenues to it to be watched, that nothing hurtful enters or evil comes out. It is to be kept by all manner of means that can be thought of by prayer, hearing, reading, meditation, and above all, by applying to Christ for his grace in scripture to sanctify, preserve, and to keep it. When I study scripture and I want to find answers like, what does it mean to guard your heart? I ask the question, well, where else does it say in scripture to guard something? What other instruction do we have? And we have a few other examples. In 2 Timothy 1, Paul writes this in verse 14. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And this is in contrast to John 10, 10, the, the section, it's broken into two parts, but the first half says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. If you do not guard what God has given you, it will be taken from you. I think that's just like the way this works. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit who's alive and at work within us, we can guard our hearts, including the good deposit of the gospel entrusted to us so that we will not become a victim to the prowling lion who is seeking to kill and destroy us. So to answer the question, what does it mean to guard your heart? I've got three different uh, action words for you. They all start with the letter F, right? So the first one is to fill your heart with God's word. Fill your heart with God's word. This is the first way you guard your heart. You fill it. Psalm 119.11 famously says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So one way we guard our heart is by filling our heart with anything and everything that honors God. Philippians 4 verse 8 also says this. I've been reading this verse over and over again on my own and trying to remember this and apply this in certain settings. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. So six things. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we dwell upon those things. When we read and we reflect on God's word, it transforms us to think and then to live in a way that honors God. We're talking the fruit of the spirit here. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Not a pineapple, as my kids are telling me. That's not what a fruit of the spirit is. You are what, you're, what you eat when it comes to this component. We think about that with uh, physical food and nourishment, same spiritually. What you take in will, will produce that sort of outcome. So if you fill your mind with truth and grace, it produces a life and thoughts and discernment with truth and grace. If you fill your mind with garbage, with lust and with lies and with evil, 
then you will produce a life of lust and lies and evil and garbage. So it's imperative that we are careful with what we set our minds on and what we give our affections to and how we spend our time. So that's the first. Fill your heart with God's word. Your application question on this, diagnostic question, would be how are you filling your mind with God's word? Are, is there a plan in place? Do you do this on a regular basis? Assess your time. Assess your priorities. Assess your day and your schedule. What you don't make time for will not naturally happen outside of God intervening because of his great mercy to fill your mind with his truth. So make time. The second one is to filter with God's word. So you fill your mind with God's word and then you filter with God's word. Second John chapter one has this one section in verse eight. It says, watch yourselves so that you will not lose what you have worked for, but, win, uh, but that you may win a full reward. So we must watch ourselves. We don't wanna lose what we've worked for. We must be intentional about what we allow into our hearts, what we see, what we read, what we hear, what we feel. There's, um, this is not the best example because I haven't read this book, but I've heard about a book by an old guy named John Bunyan, right? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, but he also wrote another book called The Holy War. And it's not about uh, like geopolitics. It's about your life and your heart. And he uses each of the senses that you have, so touch and eyes, mouth, like t taste, I should say, smell and, and um, what you hear. And he uses all five to describe how each of these is a gate for us to receive uh, either that which is good or the enemy and the enemy entering into this city that he uses like the body to think about. And each of these are a gate and some of the gates are more treacherous than others. But the whole premise of this book is it's the people inside the city, a.k.a. your own heart, but it's those inside the city that open the gate. And the enemy can only get in if you open that gate. And, yeah, I have yet to read it. Has anyone read it? No? All right, I was going to have a testimony time, so you, you missed out on that. But the premise uh, I find to be very applicable here. Romans 12, 2 says it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test. Okay, so the renewing of your mind produces this outcome. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. If you're in a spot where you're asking, God, what is your will for this scenario or the situation or this decision? What is your will? Well, it begins by you reading God's word and allowing his word to cleanse and refresh and fill and purify and transform your mind, and then you're able to really uh, be in line with what he wants. When we study scripture and when we pray and when we seek godly counsel, we are then filtering our hearts to receive God's truth and wisdom. Uh, this is one of the reasons that we can, we can state with such confidence the value and the importance to those who are single and in romantic relationships to guard their heart with their purity because that kind of a stance is, is commonly not advocated for as a society. There's just kind of a like, just you know, do whatever you wanna do even though it causes such destruction emotionally and in relationships. And so we advocate for purity when it comes to 
<coughs> sexual purity and waiting until you are married. And then even if you are, are married, you are pure within that marriage covenant. Why do we have such a clarity on that? It's because of God's word, not because we're reading like a, I don't know, random book off the shelf. The third way that we guard our heart is by fighting. So we had filling and then filtering and then fighting. Fighting against the enemy's wicked schemes and taking our thoughts captive. Fighting against the enemy's wicked schemes and taking our thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Friends, the work of taking thoughts captive is a battle. Especially this day and age in which you can access everything and anything with your phone instantly. And I'm talking just information. I'm not even talking about immoral content. But accessing stuff, reading stuff, hearing stuff, age of information. Well, do you take thoughts captive as you are reading, as you're thinking, as thoughts come to mind? This guarding work it includes what we do and what we do not do, right? So <clears throat> think about it this way. You fight off the flesh and you pursue godliness. When it comes to guarding your heart, there tends to be the clear connotation that it's just a defensive move, but I wanna help you to realize there's also the offensive side, and this is the fighting component, taking thoughts captive. There is work involved. You're not just sitting behind a shield and hiding. You are actively fighting back. We fight off the flesh and we pursue godliness, which exhibits the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So James 4, 7 is very active. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. All right, so you're not just hiding. There's an active part of submitting to God. And I found that to be incredibly difficult for most people, including myself. In those moments and in the heat of the moment, submitting to God is... Um, it's difficult because your flesh wars within you. The enemy is already, already brutal and difficult enough, and your flesh is even um, more fierce. That part of you, uh, the broken nature of your heart. So we do not give in to these cravings of the flesh. Yes, God has changed our hearts, but as long as we are on this side of heaven, as long as we do not have a glorified body, we can walk with Christ. We can... Uh, we can be filled by the Holy Spirit, but we can also choose to not allow him to fill us. And we can choose to walk in the flesh. I have one more lengthy quote from John Gill, as I mentioned, and he says this. If the heart is quickened and sanctified by the grace of God, the man will live a life of faith and holiness here and enjoy everlasting life hereafter. And if the heart is right, so will the actions of men be. They are regulated and denominated by it. They will then spring from right principles and be directed to right ends and be performed with right views. So we are to fill and to filter and to fight. And let's remember that all this is done by the Holy Spirit at work within you, his power within you. So you're not on your own. You're not figuring this out blindly. You have divine power at work within you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not, then, then you don't. And uh, that's why we urge you to 
believe in Jesus Christ. Allow him to change your life. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have God's daily grace and strength within you. And then in a church family, right, you're not isolated. You have one another. What I'm describing is something that all of us work through on a regular basis. And you talk through this. You find encouragement and support from one another as you are in this challenge, this daily battle of working out our salvation. And so, friends, this week we are challenged to guard our heart at all costs, to not give in to the enemy's tactics when he tries to deceive you on this matter. He will tell you it's not that big of a deal. He'll tell you, he'll even twist the forgiveness of God and say, just pray for forgiveness and it'll all be over. Yeah, it, yes, God will forgive, but don't just willingly jump into the muck and the mire. Let's be vigilant and let's be ruthless and let's protect our heart the way we protect personal property, the way we protect our kids or our loved ones. Uh, let us guard our heart.